Hey everyone, my name is Michael. Welcome to the Goody Reader Radio Show. And we have a ton of stories to talk about, primarily Android. As you guys know, Android's probably the world's most popular OS. Almost everybody is in this market. There's a lot of great apps, there's a lot of clones, but in the purpose of the, the Goody Reader Radio Show, you know, we, we track the digital book industry, ebooks, if you will. So Basically, here's what happened. Up until recently, Google has not required companies to use their own billing system, but now this is, there's no way around that. And as of about February of 2021, they're now charging 30% standard commission on apps and in-app purchases of digital goods and services. Subscription commissions have fallen 15% after one year. So basically what we're seeing now is the first million dollars, Google only takes a 15% cut out of each sale, aka a paid app or something like the Amazon Kindle where you buy an ebook. Uh, after that million, Google charges 30%, which is falls in line with, you know, Amazon App Store charges uh, 30%, uh, the Apple App Store charges uh, 30%, but, you know, same thing with Apple, 15% a commission on subscriptions. So what a lot of companies have done is rather than use the Google billing system and pay 30%, they are now abandoning Android. The first company to confirm to Goody Reader that they were doing that was Barnes & Noble. So their Nook app for Android, as of basically today, are going to be disabled for in-app purchases. You will no longer be able to buy Nook books, Nook audiobooks, or anything through the app. It's merely a consumption-only mode. So you'll be able to read any books that you had purchased from Barnes & Noble Nook before within the app. So those aren't disappearing, but you won't be able to buy any new titles. The only way that you'll be able to do it is if you go to, you know, the barnesandnoble.com website and you buy ebooks or audiobooks through the website using your login and password that you use for the app. And then once you buy the content, it'll automatically be synced to the app. It's a few steps to take and audible as well they have made the decision to do the same thing you'll no longer be able to buy audiobooks directly through audible they are making the change um you know this weekend as well so you'll be able to still take out a subscription for Audible because, you know, they're only taking the 15%. So selling us a subscription uh, for a varying amount of credits, like their, you know, uh, premium plus members, you know, um, you could get credits for those and then use those credits to do audiobooks through the app. But if you want to buy audiobooks on an a la carte basis you have to go to the audible.com website for your local area so 
from me from Canada, it'd be like audible.ca, buy content, and then it would sync to the Audible app. I can load up the Audible app, do a sync, and any purchase I do on like the website will be automatically done uh, for the app. So one company said that they are going to simply eat the cost and not abandon Android altogether is Kobo. Uh, they told me an exclusive statement in the near future and in compliance with new Google Play Android app policies, Rakuten Kobo will be moving over to the Google Play processing platform for in-app purchases of eBooks and where applicable audiobooks. When this happens, customers may notice a few temporary changes to the reading experience as we fully integrate with the Google Play payment platform. We will work quickly to update and reintroduce reading app features such as the ability to purchase a Kobo Plus subscription and pre-orders. The company basically made it clear that there'll be very few hiccups available when switching over to the new billing system, but they will continue to support in-app purchases for the foreseeable future. So while Barnes & Noble and Audible are basically getting rid of purchases altogether, Kobo's not, and that's savvy for them because a lot of their competitors are no longer going to be selling eBooks or audiobooks. And so for people who run Android, you know, Kobo will be like the only game left in town. And this leads to con the conundrum of Amazon. What are they going to do? Uh, Amazon's the number one ebook seller like in the world. They make the most money. They Their e-readers are the most popular. So, I mean, they have a lot to lose. So, you know, 30% for every piece of digital content sold through the app. I don't know if... Amazon will want to pay that m amount of money. It doesn't make sense. Ebooks or an audiobooks are a very low margin business. I have a feeling if they take a 30% cut, they will be losing money. I think Kobo is in the same position. They might be losing money for every sale, but at the expense of getting more customers, you know. Um, but I have a feeling that Amazon may be the next company to do it. I actually emailed a uh, PR rep that I know, as well as uh, the head of Android development in Amazon. They basically told me that um, no changes are going to be made in the foreseeable future. You know, PR speak. Like, we haven't announced anything until we announce something. You know, we're not going to make any comments. So... You know, going through the Amazon channels, you know, PR speak for a piss off. You know, we're not going to uh, answer any questions at this time. But there is historical context to say that Amazon may do it. About a decade ago, Apple decided to handle all of their in-app transactions through their own billing system. And they started to charge 30% for everything sold. When that happened, it was... Like the day after that this policy went to effect, Amazon made, made the Kindle app for the iOS, so the iPhone, the iPad, uh, iPod Touch, and so on. It, they mainly just made it a consumption-only mode. You couldn't buy anything through the app on iOS, and that continues to the very day where, you, you know, in order to re listen to audiobooks, read, audio, uh, read e-books, comics from comiXology and all that you have to actually go to the amazon website go to the kindle category buy content 
open up the Kindle app for, you know, iOS on your iPhone and whatnot, do a sync, sync all your purchases over, and there you go. So that, you know, when that policy went to effect, you know, I didn't, I stopped buying books from Kindle on my iPhone because, you know, I couldn't be bothered to load up Safari, go to the Amazon.com website, look for a book, you know, and uh, by the time I do that, it's like I get distracted by, oh, I need to buy a new you know, whole beans coffee for my espresso maker. And I, you know, so it was the same with Comixology, you know, until Amazon bought them out, they were still selling content uh, through their app on iOS. But when Amazon bought them, they stopped that. So as soon as they stopped it, I stopped buying digital content through Comixology. And I believe I'm not the only one. When you're used to buying in-app transactions you know, through an app, and then suddenly you can't, a lot of, like, I know myself, I stopped buying from them, because I couldn't be bothered to jump through three or four hoops in order to just buy something, and I think that's why, like, a lot of people ended up switching to Android, because, you know, unlike iOS, you could still buy everything through the app, well, up until this weekend, so, I mean, for, like, the last 10 years, you know, if you are a Kindle user, you know, you have an Android device, tablet, whatever, um, and you could easily buy content through there, you know, directly through the app. I have a feeling so he, that Amazon will stop in-app transactions because they did it when the 30% and the billing system on Apple happened. And now Google wants, you know, basically everybody to use their own billing system. And do you think a Amazon as a data company, you know, they're, they're a data company, do you think that they want to lose all this like historical data of like what credit card they're being used to pay? Are they using PayPal or, you know, uh, an Amex credit card? They won't be able to tell because it's going directly through like Google now. So Google is now capturing all of this data and not Amazon. And if I was Amazon, I'd be pissed. So Amazon does have an ace up its sleeve. They basically have two Android apps. One is on Google Play, and the other is optimized for Fire OS tablets. So if you have a Fire tablet, this is a completely different app. It's more or less the same like core functionality of the Google Play app, but they're basically using Amazon's own API. So when you buy an ebook on your Fire device, whether it's an audiobook, you're, you know, you're buying it from Audible. If you're buying an ebook, you're buying it from like, you know, the Kindle store. So Amazon handles the payment processing and everything for their Fire OS tablets. So no matter what Fire tablet that you have, you're basically using a a customized fork of the Android app. So that's Amazon's ace up their sleeve. They could basically say like, look, we're disabling in-app transactions because it's too expensive for us to continue offering it on Android. However, if you still wanna buy content through the app, you know, our Fire tablets are on sale today, you know, get them as low as $49. Uh, their entry-level tablets are often on sale anywhere between like 39 and like $79. So you can pick up like a cheapo tablet just to like listen to audiobooks if you want, or just like to read Kindle books. It's, you know, you're not being able to do it on your fully functioned smartphone anymore. Cause like, you know, let's face it, most people read on their phones. And if you have a flagship, you know, Samsung Z22 Ultra, 
you know, it sucks that maybe you won't be able to read ebooks from Barnes and Noble anymore. You won't be able to shop and buy audiobooks through the Audible app anymore. If Amazon makes this decision as well, you won't be able to do Kindle ebooks anymore. So I have a feeling that Amazon will disable in-app transactions for Android, but they will continue to offer it through Fire OS. So basically to sum up the story, Kobo will continue to offer in-app transactions. Barnes & Noble and Audible will not. And Amazon is an unknown at this factor. And those are sort of like the bigger companies. We don't really know what Tolino is doing or what like the smaller companies are doing. But um, those are sort of like the big boys. You know, um, Overdrive really is, you know, they're libraries. They're not selling content, you know. Um, they have a completely different business model. So, this is this is very interesting. If you are listening to this radio show on goodyreader.com, drop a comment on this radio show uh, and let me know whether you think that Amazon will disable Kindle purchases or not. And on another note, do you think that with the Kindle shopping app for Android, <laughs> could it come to it where they stop offering the ability to buy things through the app? 30% is a lot of money, you know, um, for third-party merchants, you know, I could see how Amazon could still make money through there, but selling goods and goods as opposed to digital services, razor-thin margins as well, you know, um, I have a feeling that Google Shopping, like you, like, you know, on the app, you know, you can't really do that on iOS, for Android? I don't know. I mean, it could happen. What do you think? Drop a comment below if you're listening to this radio show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, you can lock your browsers to goodybeater.com and on this radio show entry that we will be making, you'll be able to drop a comment and talk with other people and just, you know, talk about this issue because I think this is huge news and this isn't the only time you know also you know within the last 24 hours all this news broke and we were the first ones to report on all of it so we are breaking scoops on our website and i, I think that this is not the last that we've really heard of it at this time so we'll definitely be hearing more companies who are going to be abandoning the android platform so What's happening in other news? Well, we've been getting our hands on all sorts of groovy little devices. We, on last radio show, we kind of gave you the scoop on what the Onyx Book Nova Air C brought to the table. We finished our comprehensive hands-on review. We have an unboxing and review video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash goodyreader. But we also have an extensive written review that I did like on the website, I believe it's like, 8,000 words. It's like, you know, a 15-minute read. Um, suffice to say, drawing in color is so much better. Um, probably a lot of you, maybe your e-reading experience has been Kindle, Kobo, maybe Barnes & Noble, uh, consumer-grade e-readers. Uh, there's a whole new product category that's basically 
started about like five years ago called eNotes or their digital note-taking devices. So it's still the same e-paper screen that your Kindle or Kobo has, except the screen sizes are significantly larger. Uh, they range in size for about 6.8 inches all the way to 13.3. So the Sonicsbook Nova C is an eNote but you can also, you know, install apps. It has Google Play, so you can install uh, all of your favorite apps like on it. And it has performance modes that basically will increase the speed, page turn speed within an app, make it more responsive and robust at a slight decrease of image quality. It's what e-reader companies do in order, you know, with e-ink refresh being what it is, browsing the Google Play Store, Flipping through animated page turns, e-readers really, really weren't meant for that. So Onyx makes a lot of software enhancements just to basically make it more fluid. So um, with the Nova C, you can draw in 16 different colors, varying degrees of black, gray, white, but also are the RGBs and uh, also like green, yellow, orange, pink, light blue, you know, things like that. There's all this sort of like lighter colors and darker colors. 16 colors are pretty nice. Not, so you'll be able to draw, uh, freehand draw, uh, make notes, do calendars, to-do lists and stuff, but you can also annotate any type of PDF file. So you sideload a PDF file. Uh, you can under, you know, for students, for textbooks, you can just underline passages, highlight passages, circle things that, uh, you know, you wanna study later. I, for me, I sign a lot of contracts, you know, being here a Goody Reader, it's like everything from taxes to like business development to when we sign up new vendors, we do vendor contracts. So, you know, being able to just like handwrite my signature in a very, you know, intuitive like fashion, that's what I prefer to do it is like on a 13.3 e-note because, and then, you know, you just send it through email to like the person right on the e-note. So it's like no computer required, which is pretty nice. So suffice to say, reading ebooks and seeing the cover art in, in full glorious color, pretty nice. Color comics, uh, color manga, webtoons, uh, all of the apps that you install are in full color. I mean... I think that Onyx Book probably just made the best 7.8 inch ever. In terms of hardware specs, it's really nice. It doesn't have like the most amount of storage. It's about 32 gigs, which is like enough. Um, it's as pressure sensitivity, palm rejection technology. It's still like around like 300 PPI, you know, for all of the, the black and white text color, still at 100 PPI, but what Onyx is doing, which is sort of impressive on this, is it's the first device that uses on-cell technology. Uh, this is a brand new e-paper module that was announced last year. It incorporates touch directly into the e-paper instead of like the touch screen as its own independent uh, film. So it makes the display clearer for the end user. Uh, it increases the performance of black and white displays by 30% and also increases the contrast ratio. Um, when used with e-ink Kaleido Plus, which is this, this is running, the color contrast ratio and color saturation has been increased by about 40%. So 
versus like the Nova 3 color and this, it's a, around like a 15 to a 40% increase in like color accuracy and just the vibrancy of colors. So, you know, I, I think that if you're looking for a 7.8, then Onyx Book Nova Air Color is like the way to go. However, it's a little bit expensive. It's about $419. So you are paying a premium for the color module. And that's just because um, e-reader companies can't really manufacture to scale to you know, get discounts. You know, millions of people are not going to buy the Nova Air seat. Thousands are. Maybe tens of thousands are. My guess is when Onyx Book releases a new model, probably sell anywhere between 50 and maybe 100,000 units total. Um, they might do numerous production runs because they're pretty, not frugal, but they're like strategic. When they are not sure if something's going to sell or not, they only say make like maybe 10 to 25,000 units. And if they get sold out within about a month or if they notice some of the trends that things are selling more than expected, then they'll do another production run. But in the meantime, you know, people who place their orders are waiting a couple of weeks. Like, hey, where's my order? I placed it a couple of weeks ago. It's like, well, you know, Onyx is making a new production run. You know, uh, sometimes when people order from well, through us, you know, we try to explain it to them. It's like, yo, Onyx didn't anticipate that this device was going to be as popular. They're doing a new production run. You know, it's going to take two or three weeks. You know, hopefully if you want to cancel, that's cool. If you want to wait, you know, you're, you're first on the waiting list for like the new batch. So that's generally what happens, not just with the Onyx Book Nova Air C, but most, most e-readers in general are sort of like that, just not even Onyx. So here are the prawns, the, like the pros. Uh, color accuracy and wider gamut, Android 11 and Google Play, on-sell e-paper technology, uh, versatile with comics, manga, and magazines, and Onyx is a trusted brand. They've basically been making e-readers for like 13 years, and in about seven of those years have been in English. Uh, cons, no SD card, pricey, 32 gigs of storage might not be enough for some users. Um, if you're looking for something larger, you know, because because let's face it, some people want to be able to read A5 documents and you only be able to say do that on a 10.3 inch screen because A4 documents are ideal. It's basically, um, there's a handful on the market, but A4 is basically the equivalent of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Uh, PDFs, natively will look the best on 13.3s, but Ant Kaleido has not been optimized for 13.3s. So nobody has done a 13.3 inch color tablet yet. The maximum that they have done is 10.3. And the only two on the market right now is the Big Me Car Color, which I think is like the best one. It retails for about $9.99, but you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, there, there's the Big Me B1 Pro Plus, which is also a color screen. And I has a slight spec bump, but like the bezel's thicker. Um, you know, it's not as a, as a good looking device. Whereas I think the carved color hits all the check marks for being a very good device. And it's also the, the cheaper of the two. So, you know, about a thousand bucks for that. Again, premium for 
a large device running the latest generation and Kaleido Plus. So that's what you're getting. So you're gonna ask, you know, how old is Kaleido Plus? Cause we've been hearing about this for a while. Well, it's about a year old, maybe about a year and a half old. I believe that E-Ink is going to be announcing Kaleido 3, whether they name it Kaleido Pro or like whatever nomenclature that they're going to do. I have a feeling that they're going to be announcing it in May and they're going to be doing it for SID Display Week. And I know Pocketbook is going to be doing a color device using Kaleido 3 at the end of the year. I haven't really heard reports from other companies yet. I, I know that iReader is going to be announcing a new color device on April 21st, which is like a couple of weeks before Sid. So I have a feeling that Yink will announce that it's Sid, but you know, I, I have a feeling that it won't be ready until the summer, which means that, you know, basically winter of 2022 is when we'll probably see the first wave of it. So I think iReader is probably going to do a Kaleido Plus because they did uh, the first generation Kaleido, the iReader C6, which was just in Chinese, but we actually sold quite well because it was like one of the first wave. I think it was the second color e-reader behind the pocketbook color that came out. So I think like color at the first generation of Kaleido was such a novelty that a lot of people were just like buying it. Uh, a lot of businesses were buying it from us. Like Amazon was buying it from us just to evaluate what the first generation new gen color e-paper looked like. And then uh, our reader didn't do anything with Kaleido Plus, but I think that they're going to be doing it. You know, they're going to be announcing products they like have them locked in stone there. They're mass producing them as we speak. Uh, I couldn't get specs with them, but I do know like they're announcing like three new devices. One is the iReader XS. Uh, there's a color one and then they're doing another e-note, but they're all doing it with this new generation English. So you'll actually be able to find value in it for anyone who's listening to this radio show because I'm talking to you in English. So, um, uh, a cheap Kaleido 2 six-inch device might be just what the doctor ordered. I have a feeling it'll be like 200, maybe 229. Maximum like under 300 is, is sort of like what I'm thinking of because their only experience with the iReader C6 was a six-inch device. I have a feeling that their follow-up device will also be a six-inch device because it'll be affordable. Uh, somewhat, you know, the larger screen that you do, the more expensive a device. So I kind of have a feeling since they primarily target the Chinese market that they want to keep costs as low as possible for that market because, you know, uh, obviously there's more poor people than people who are well off and have money that can spend 300 us on a device like on an e-reader but if you offer it pretty cheap you know you suddenly open it up to a wider demo of people and the international audience right now for e-readers kind of unknown because they pretty well exclusively target the chinese market so having english devices for the first time um may do a small bump in their revenue but because you know it's their first time they're not a household name no you know nobody probably is listening to shows like who the hell's I reader it's like well they're they're a pretty good company I mean they they do a lot of AI type stuff um 
So they're, they're, they're sort of like big into e-readers is just something that they do. Their primary business models, like, yeah, AI, like machine learning, uh, they license out their software to like big and small companies all over like China. So that's, that's where they generate the lion's share of the revenue. It's sort of like Amazon, you know, the lion's share of the revenue is done by AWS and you know, they do everything from like hosting the databases to offsite storage to, you know, app like hosting, but they do do a lot of like, you know, machine learning and algorithms and, you know, all this type of like traditional stuff that would cost companies a lot of money to do. But, you know, you do it at a fraction of like the, the cost by going through Amazon. So that's sort of like what iReader does. So very exciting. We'll be able to get a main sense of like what they're doing. Do you borrow books from the public library? And when I'm talking about books, I'm more so talking about digital. So do you use Overdrive? Do you use over, like Libby from Overdrive? Those are pretty well like has been the only two apps that most libraries support. I would say I've seen like statistics that the companies put out you know, they control like about 80% of like the library market. So 80% of like libraries in North America and like Western Europe, they basically go with our overdrive because there's the market leader, but a lot of companies do business with like more than one partner. So they'll deal with like overdrive for audiobooks and ebooks, but they'll deal with like Zinio for magazines, or they'll deal with like recorded books for more audiobooks, or they'll deal with like, um, I don't know, a press reader or something like that. They'll, you know, they have, uh, Overdrive isn't the, you know, the only company they deal with, but most branches, they are the only company that most people know of. And so they have like, you know, the widest, deepest pool, the most titles and stuff like that. But what's interesting is they have discontinued their main Overdrive app that's been available for like literally 15 years. You know, ever since Overdrive started courting libraries, it's like use the Overdrive app. You know, this, this is how you're going to read eBooks. And now then, you know, eventually audiobooks, magazines, you can watch educational videos, you know, listen to music. Um, and then roughly about four years ago, they released a successor uh, called Libby, and it's been slowly gaining traction. And it's at this point that Overdrive has retired the Overdrive main app for Android or iOS. Uh, it's no longer listed on the Google Play or Apple App Store. Existing users who have the app will be able to use it until the end of the year, and then all services will be shutting off. Overdrive is basically encouraging users to upgrade to Libby, which is a new app. Uh, it has a better audiobook, ebook, and magazine uh experience users in the u.s can use the app to send digital content right to your kindle so for most ebooks and audiobooks through libby you can actually send them uh directly to your kindle the one thing i like about libby is um the ability to apply for a library card directly through the app. Now, not all libraries support this, mind you. Um, like I know in Vancouver, I, think, I don't think any of the libraries support it. It's more of like a US thing, I think. More libraries in the US have bought into that, where, you know, in the past, you know, if you wanted to get a library card to 
borrow ebooks from like overdrive libraries either with overdrive or libby you had to go to a branch you had to bring an id you had to show the like billing like a records to like your address like your your hydro bill your phone bill uh things like that you know a credit card bill you know things that get delivered to you but i mean you know we live in a world of digital i mean i don't get any paper bills sent to me anymore I, it, they're all just digital, you know, and well, print them out on paper, I guess. But how does that prove that, you know, it's printed on pre printed paper? So, I mean, getting a library card, you know, hasn't really changed in like 40 years. You know, it's still the same procedure, but we live in a totally different world. So, I like the fact that you just like do it through like Libby, just using like your ID. You just like, upload a piece of ID to like the library um, and you know, they facilitate it through there. So basically you sign up for a Libby account, you enter your library card and they provide you with like a four digit pin code number. I don't know if you're gonna see, you pick it yourself or they just like give it to you, but each four digit pin card is like individualized to like your local branch. And then when you like load up Lib Libby, it's basically, your local branch, all the titles that they support. So, um, you know, they, through the overdrive back and, um, you know, uh, for libraries, when they log into like the overdrive.com website, they log into like the overdrive marketplace, they can actually curate titles and categories and stuff. So, you know, for Easter, they'll highlight, you know, kids books or for Mother's Day, they'll, you know, do curated lists or, you know, for holidays, they'll curate lists, but they'll also curate, you know, best romance books of the month or, you know, the scariest books for Halloween, you know, they'll, they'll do things like that. But I mean, from like, you know, every couple of weeks, they'll probably change things up for like recommended titles. Like, you know, these are the, like, the latest bestsellers. These have like, the least holds on them and things like that so um that's the news overdrive discontinued it's just libby from now on and i think most people these days have already gravitated towards like libby i've ran into a lot of people who you know they ask me what i do and i'm like yo you know i talk about audiobooks ebooks and uh, e-readers, but most of the times I don't even mention e-readers because it's like, inevitably be like, what's that? You know, they've, they've never ever heard of them. I'll be like, have you ever heard of a Kindle? They'll be like, yeah, it's like devices just like the Kindle, but different, you know? So I just had to say, I write about audiobooks and e-books because like most people have heard of one or the other, guaranteed, you know, even if they're, you know, audiobooks on CD, you know, my dad used to listen to those, you know, you know, reading, everybody reads, oh, I would hope so. So that's generally what I say. And then they're like, oh, you know, I use that app on my phone to like borrow books from the library. I'm like, oh, what app? And they're like, Libby. I'm like, I know that app all too well, you know? So it, it's kind of interesting that like, I'll just meet random people and just, you know, service workers for the most part, like when I go to Starbucks or uh, Tim Hortons or just like the locals roaster down the street. And, you know, I'll, as they're making my drink, I'll, I'll shoot the breeze with them. It's a lot of times it's like, I go there multiple times a week. I, I've seen the same workers, you know, you build up a rapport with like, they, uh, for me, I, I build up a, a rapport with like the younger ones, you know, people like say like under 30, just because like I have more in common with them than people who are like, uh, you know, 50, 60, you know, who are working service jobs, like less in common with them. So 
um, it helps when they're cute too. So, um, yeah, that that's like the news. So there's a lot of like things being discontinued and things like this in like the Android world. Um, so yeah, if you want to like look at more in depth of like what we cover on a week to week basis, you can keep your browsers locked to goodyreader.com. Our podcasts are being done pretty well on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. It really depends on if there's like a lot of breaking stories because I don't want to do like radio shows where everything's kind of redundant and, you know, I mention the same thing each show. I'd like to like dice it up so you guys could like know what's going on in like the ebook and audiobook and e-reader industry. But I mean, from like a general perspective, Last year, more devices were released than any other year. More e-paper devices. So a combination of e-readers and e-notes. You know, Xiaomi, like, released, like, four new devices. Like, iReader, three. Like, Hanvon, four. You know, new Paperwhites, new Kobos, like, new Kindle Paperwhites, uh, Tolinos, Bokines, like... um. You know, there was new read moves. There was like all these new Onyx books refreshed their entire product line. Big Me released like five or six devices. I mean, there was just like literally 60 plus new devices. And that's not even counting like the Fujitsu Quadernos and like all this other stuff. I mean, there was just so many that I have trouble remembering them all. Like, you know, but this year, I think that probably more new devices will be released this year than last year. I mean, even at the beginning of the year, I mean, like a couple of new Onyx Books devices, like four new iReader devices, like seven new Big Me devices. And this is just like in January and February. Um, there is tons of stuff. And, and traditionally, in like January and February, that's the slow month. I mean, everything like, you know, all the big things came out October to about December. Even a new Nook came out last year, for God's sake. I mean, that just shows you how insane like last year was where I even forget like, you know, the third largest, you know, e-reader company in the States, you know. Uh, I mean, just it was huge. I mean, this year, Barnes & Noble is going to release another thing. Kobo is releasing like a, at least one new e-reader that passed the FCC, um, maybe two or three. I know that they're going to be like doing a new Clara. I think that Amazon is probably going to do one big device of this year, whether they're going to do an Oasis 4 or something different. Um Talino is going to be releasing new devices. Um, I know that like iReader, another three. iFlyTech is going to be releasing a few. Uh, Xiaomi, three or four that they're going to be releasing this year. Um, who is that big company that just did like the paper one? Um... Uh, I'm having a hard time. How, how, Howie? Yeah, I think it was like the, the new Howie that's using Harmony OS. Uh, it's on pre-order in China right now. And it's going to be available, I think, sometime in like the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the MatePad paper. Uh, it like 
won the best of like mobile world congress um you know a lot of people got their hands on with it you know we've written like like six articles on it so far and like they're all super well read i mean it's because it's running english you know and it's using a totally different os that we've seen before i mean all e-readers and e-notes are either running android or linux this is the first one that's running harmony os which is like a derivative of android they basically used it because like Huawei is sort of blacklisted which is why they're not officially selling it in north america they're just going to be selling it in like europe and china uh to skirt sanctions and then basically they're using their own fork of open android uh because they can't actually license android from google because of sanctions and stuff like that so i mean yeah i mean this, this year is going to be totally crazy there's all these like really innovative neat devices coming out there's some ho-hum devices coming out but i mean you know, prospectively new color devices by the end of the year, you know, by pocketbook, they're going to be releasing at least one new device with color. You know, they, they're due to refresh like multiple new devices, like the ink, the ink pad, the ink pad pro, uh, they, they kind of covered their lower end last year with like the basic four, uh, the, touch hd3 that is probably due for like a refresh from pocketbook so i mean yeah i mean i have a feeling if like let's just say as an arbitrary figure it feels like 60 but let's just say that 50 devices came out last year like e-readers and e-notes combined i have a feeling that this year is going to be close to about 75 or 80 just because the um the component shortage more or less over uh, E-Ink's main factory in China is back online, and they actually formed a consortium relationship close to their largest Chinese factory with like six or seven smaller factories that will be doing component manufacturing close to E-Ink's like China headquarters. So basically, instead of like sourcing things in the past from like Taiwan and then sending them to the factory or, you know, to uh, other countries to the factory. It's basically everything's being done in this, in this like big, like it's not an official complex, but it's like within everybody's like whose factories are in like super close proximity to each other, close enough where you could just like drive there in like 10 minutes and just be like, yo, you know, we need to like see how uh, the lithium ion batteries for this like new e-reader that we're doing, you know, it's, they're supposed to be 3000 megahertz. And we just need to make sure that there's no bulging and stuff like that. You know, uh, that's what they're doing. So e-reader manufacturing is suddenly becoming more affordable because everything is just like made and assembled and constructed in China uh, to a lesser degree. There's only a few brands that do it out of Taiwan. I think Kobo, Barnes & Noble are the only one, and Readmu, and a few other smaller, tiny Taiwanese brands that just basically, like, do it through, like, Nectronics. And other time, you know, it's basically Nectronics everyone sort of does business with. But most of the other people are, like, dealing with either, like, Linfini or E-Ink directly or, you know, Jezatech. There's a, only a few companies, like, Amazon does it through Foxconn. Foxconn does like all the big manufacturing for uh, the Kindle line of e-readers. So they're designed in California and uh, yeah, said something in my mouth, a little hair. Anyways, um, yeah, so um, Amazon uh, in their Santa Clara, I think office, Lab 126, 
that's where they do all the designs and molds and everything like that. And then everything's sent over to Foxconn and they actually do like the component sourcing, uh, integration, like molds and manufacturing. So that's where everything's done. That's why I like a lot of Kindles say like, you know, design in the USA, like manufacture in China. It's sort of like what Apple, you know, what's on all the Apple's boxes. Cause it's like Apple does like all this like industrial design, but it's actual manufacturing is all just done like in China. Cause it's significantly cheaper. So you've been listening to a radio show. Thanks for listening. My name is Michael and everybody take care.